sort of share. Um, so firstly, removing those barriers and being courageous about uh, owning up to those barriers and trying to get them removed so that I am fully in faith that Jesus is the best news in all the world. Um, and then to add on to that, a simple clarity of explaining the gospel, um, not using lots of long words and jargon and that kind of thing. And as I go on that journey, sh bringing other people along with that and demonstrating that. Um, so I guess that's sort of maybe the background um, to it. And then, um, as I mentioned yesterday, I've got two very little children. So in 20 years' time, oh my goodness, they're going to be 21 and 23. <laughs> so um, I guess, um, yeah, if I've courageously discipled them over the next 20 years, then hopefully they would be disciple-making disciples um, who love Jesus and feel secure in his love, um, who feel able to connect to him and um, sort of process the events of, of their life with him. So hopefully if I we um, do that in front of them and help them to do that, um, yeah, pray that um, that they'll be set up for life, of a life of fruitfulness. Um, yeah, um, then as I said yesterday, Matthew and Heather um, Waterson have been meeting with us and we've already been meeting um, with um, another couple. So they've been coming and having dinner with us every other week and we, they're part of our lives now. Um, so maybe if every couple of years we picked up a new couple who we shared our life with um, and maybe if we said to them, why don't you do the same um, and invest in another family um, over 20 years? I don't know, I didn't do the maths, but um <laughs> I didn't have a calculator, a spreadsheet on me. Um, but yeah, that would be lots of families impacted. Um, individuals that I'm currently um, investing in. One is a singer-songwriter, so um, if I invested in her, in her courageously, maybe her songs would be packed full of theology and she'd be impacting both the church and the wider culture for Jesus. Um, someone, another friend who's really passionate about evangelism but isn't seeing any inroads in that, so maybe she'd make a breakthrough and be seeing her sa friends saved and then they would be seeing other people saved. Um, yeah, and then as I go around my daily life, I'm meeting people and I think, yeah, seeing them saved and then seeing those people, seeing other people saved. Come on, this sounds good. I don't know about you, but it's fantastic to hear English people dream out loud. It's, it's often filled with maybes and perhaps and uh, who knows. Uh, so I think uh, I'm slowly getting the hang of that. But uh, at the same time, I think we've got to learn to delete some of that language from our vocabulary and uh, allow to dream out loud. Um, so Ruth Vancevich down here um, is working in science and faith. And I've done a, started working with her a little bit. And um, my passion is that there would be no blocks or barriers of people sharing the gospel because they're worried about science coming up in conversations with non-Christians. So um, she started working with RM churches. I've, um, I've written a course for, s for secondary schools that can be taught. Um, and if, if in secondary schools people children started to realize that they, there wasn't a conflict and that they don't have to choose between God's and science, that would be amazing. And if every single person in our own churches realizes that there, uh, it has confidence. Yeah, I just love to see um, every single Christian not having science as a blockage or a worry when they're sharing the gospel. 
Brilliant. Well, that sounded very bold, very exciting. So courageous disciple making, um, uh, growing as a disciple yourself, investing in your children, investing in couples that God will send your way, investing in the singer-songwriter, uh, investing in people, helping them not to choose between science and Christianity. Wow, that sounds like an exciting 20 years to come, don't you think? Excellent. Right, Morris, um, same question for you. What's the next 20 years going to look like uh, if you give yourself to courageous multiplication of disciples? And uh, a one challenge for you, you're not allowed to use the word maybe or perhaps. Here we go. <laughs> okay. It's like, <laughs> all right. Okay, well, uh, just before um, <clears throat> I talk about that one, there was something I wanted to say yesterday that I... Um, I um, didn't get the chance, so I'm going to take the chance now. And uh, <laughs> well, no, just in terms of you know, uh, what's our experience of being discipled? I mean, uh, and we we're talking about sharing our lives with people. I mean, the person that probably has discipled and disciples me uh, daily is Rachel, my own wife. And uh, you know, we we have to remember this is not sort of a I'm going to very noble and honour my wife uh, sort of thing. It's actually it's a very very factual thing. It's not good for us to be alone, is what we were told before the fall. And so we cannot fully know God on our own. And so God has given us marriage, family, church. These are um, environments of discipleship just by being who we are and being together. And so without a shadow of a doubt, Rachel has... I mean, I've not been a Christian very long when I first uh, met Rachel. And she, I think she was born in a temple somewhere. She's just sort of... <laughs> In, innately godly, Godward woman, and uh, she's shaped me and discipled me just by, you know, she's never sat down and uh, sort of uh, in a classroom with me, but just by her example and everything about her has discipled me, and I don't think I often hear marriage presented in that way, that actually one of the core purposes, the primary purposes of, of marriage, as well as family and church, but for those of us who are married, is that we can help each other fully know God. And, uh, and so that's center point for discipleship, in my view. In terms of courageous multiplication, I feel vulnerable when we stick this vision statement up about uh, 520, uh, 30 and 1040 and 2050, because it is outrageous um, and, uh, and impossible. Uh, so, you know, even just to plant 20 churches in one nation of Europe will be a miracle at the pace we're going <laughs> at the moment. But to plant 20 churches in each of 50 nations... And the only way that is going to happen is by multiplying and discipling Ephesians 4 ministries in the nations. That's the only way it can. There's absolutely no other way it can happen otherwise. And, uh, and so, um, you know, in this next period of my life, when I'm going to be on the mainland a lot more, my focus is going to be on uh, identifying and raising up indigenous Ephesians 4 ministries, men and women who are going to take responsibility for their mission in their own context. And just to give one example of that... Um, <coughs> A couple of weeks ago, we had a prayer team, two or three weeks ago, Adam took a prayer team out to Leskovac in Serbia. Yeah, who was Adam? Is he still here? Okay. He's still recovering from uh, his experience. <coughs> and uh, this is, uh, Vlada has some connections into a town and a very good relationship with a pastor there. He's uh, planted seven churches among the Romani gypsies in, in Leskovac and the surrounding villages. He's got 20 missional communities and he sat Vladimir, and I went down uh, there a couple of weeks ago with Grantley. We had a blast, didn't we, out there with a team that we took. So two weeks in a trot we've been in this town. And uh, Sheriff, which is a great name for a church leader, I think. Uh, <laughs> Sheriff, 
he said, um, would you come and train our leaders? We've got 60 to 80 leaders, and, and, and I'd like it, you know, could you come and train us? In? And for me, it's not important that we multiply RM. It's important that we multiply authentic New Testament DNA. Those are what those nine values represent. So when we look at those nine values. It's not, oh, this is our sort of new, uh, new frontiers of relational mission. No, that is what we understand to be the DNA of a healthy New Testament church uh, community. Uh, or movement, and and that's and so if we can help uh, train these churches in that, well, that's job done as far as I'm concerned for Serbia, whether they're part of a relational mission or not. Now, just to say for our prayers, this is a battle. Uh, so Adam was in there with a team one week. Grantly and I were in there with a team the following week. The week after that, three gangs of white Serbians went in with armor sticks and smashed the whole place up exactly where we had been. And if that doesn't tell you something about the spiritual battle, then it should, you know. So uh, with the opportunity to advance, uh, we are going to meet this opposition. So please can you pray for those dear brothers down there. We'll be seeing them again next weekend. Uh, I'm back out there again. So my uh, expectation of courageous multiplication of disciples in the next 20 years is to raise up and release waves of indigenous Ephesians 4 ministries for them to take responsibility for their mission and fulfill this vision because I'll be, I'll be long dead before it's finished. So, thank you. Well, on that encouraging note, we shall uh, <laughs> finish this conversation. <laughs> um, as you uh, have all been fantastic at dreaming up your 20 years vision and having loads of conversations over beer and dinner, uh, we're just going to give you five more extra minutes to have a little think about this before we're going to have this conversation uh, in pair. So I'm going to give you five minutes just to answer that question, what's the next 20 years going to look like? And we do not want to see any perhaps or maybes written on your cards uh, or in your conversations coming back just to allow you uh, to dream. Uh, and then after that, we're going to spend some time uh, communicating this through in pairs. So over to you for the next five minutes. Excellent. So we're going to go back into pairs, find somebody around your table to have this conversation with, ask each other what's the next 20 years going to look like if you gave yourself to courageous multiplication of disciples. And uh, you can challenge one another. If there's maybes perhaps coming up in your conversation dream out loud, and uh, after that, we'll uh, gather back together. Excellent. If you want to draw your conversations to a close, or just press pause, we'll continue the same conversations. Now, when it comes to dreaming, uh, it's quite easy to think of things th that perhaps are doable. It's much harder to start dreaming about things that are undoable. And uh, uh, a couple of years ago, I wrote, uh, or I wrote, I read a uh, biography about Walt Disney. And uh, I don't know, when I think about dreams, I think that's perhaps a name uh, that really uh, kind of stirs you. So as I start reading uh, about his story, described how he was a, a young boy. He was uh, kicked off his newspaper round for being a man without creativity and insight. Uh, and um, yet a few years later on, he started the hard craft uh, of pioneering something. So he started to pioneer the first development of the animated uh, uh, movies. And um, it was hard work. He started in his uh, garage and... Uh, 
uh, there were very few resources, very few people working, working very, very hard. And uh, what you can see over his lifetime developing is that he was not just a pioneer in one thing, he became the pioneer in many things. He invented an animated uh, movie. Well, I mean, who has not seen a Walt Disney movie? It's like pretty much educating our kids when it comes to morals and uh, values these days, which is a very scary thing. Um, uh, he has invented uh, attraction parks, so he set up Disney World, uh, and uh, he went to uh, attraction park in his day and was totally frustrated with the, the lack of inspiration and mess around. He completely kind of renovated that. Um, uh, he came up with uh, inventions. He loved inventing things, so a, a lot of these attraction parks have got like inventions that were cut edge technology um, and then uh, in his last episode of his life he started to work on a project called Epcot which basically uh, was heaven on earth it was the perfect city a pollution free accident free uh, city and uh, he never got to finish it ironically uh, because he died and he was described to be a man of great anxiety in his last days and you think wow what a waste a man of such great dreams and inspiration who's basically transformed society today in which we live uh, started off as a newspaper boy who was kicked out with his lack of imagination. And that's just one man. Imagine if we had a few old Disneys in this room who could dream big and start to think outside the box and push boundaries. We could see a whole lot of things happening. And um, hey, wouldn't it be a shame if our kids were educated by Walt Disney and yet we had no say in it? Wouldn't it be great if we had some filmmakers in our midst, if we had some people bringing cutting-edge technology, uh, clawing back the arts uh, into the church, because that is a huge area of loss, isn't it? And starting to dream what God could do. Uh, now, I imagine Walt Disney, when he did his paper round, uh, didn't quite think of everything that was about to follow. But uh, imagine uh, if we reverse time and the same thing could happen uh, with all of us here in this room today. We could see massive innovation and world change. So what we're going to do next is we're going to try and help you blow up your brain and think a little bit bigger. Um, so we're going to ask you the question, what would it look like if you multiplied your dream by 10 times? Uh, and uh, you'll have to think bigger. You can't think about one ministry anymore. You can't think about one church anymore. It's got to be bigger than that. You can't think about one town anymore. You've got to start thinking about nations and continents. So um, I'm going to ask uh, Morris and Emily to come back up and uh, ask them the question, what if they were to blow up their dream and uh, make it 10 times bigger, uh, not only would there be no maybes and perhaps anymore in that dream, uh, it will also have to be bigger from what they just described. Now, Morris is just thinking, if only I'd shot it a bit lower, then I could have more easily got to that. But um, that's the whole point of the exercise. So, Morris, we'll start with you this time. If you were to blow up your dreams 10 times, what does that look like? Okay, yeah. um, well, I mean... 20 uh, churches in each of 50 nations of Europe already scares me fartless, so I don't know how I can make that 10 times bigger. Um, I mean, that's se the 750 million people in, uh, in Europe, that's one church for every 750,000 people. So we're hardly scratching the surface, are we, with uh, 20 churches in 50 nations. Um, so uh, um, I don't know, 10 times bigger will be one church for every 75,000 people, maybe? At, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. I haven't heard you say intergalactic church planting yet. So I, I no, that was I someone else had that one, didn't they? <laughs> so that's all right. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's just raising, you know, 10 times bigger will be 10 times as more people uh, carrying this DNA and taking responsibility for their mission. It's just so what's got to happen 
to get to that 10 times part because I think the end result could be 10 times bigger. Well, what's got to happen to get to that place? Um, well, I mean, we can only do what we can do and trust God that he will do what he can do. You know, that, so I don't know. I don't know I can do anything else. I can, you can only be yourself and do what God puts in front of you to do and say, God, this is your idea. It's your mission. If you want it to be 10 times bigger, well, then blow 10 times harder. You know, uh, I don't know what else I can say. You know. That sounds like an excellent <laughs> prayer to pray, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. Good. Right, Emily, we'll go over to you. So uh, 10 times what you've described your vision for family, songwriting, reaching people with the gospel, marriages, what does that going to look like? Okay. Um, so on the marriages front, I guess if, um, if we, not just in our personal life, but with throughout our church, catalyzed every single family in the church to be in each other's lives more, then uh, that will then spill out beyond our church into the surrounding communities. Um, so that would be more of Cambridge and Cambridgeshire impacted for being in and out of Christians' lives and therefore more disciples. Um, maybe, yeah, no, not allowed any maybes now. <laughs> We're getting 10 times later. So we will have um, <coughs> churches in all the villages around Cambridge and as well as the city centre because we've got lots of people in the villages around Cambridge we're quite spread out actually um so yeah churches in every single village around the Cambridge um science and faith I think 10 times bigger would be um the kind of science and faith programs that could go into schools would get into mainstream um, education, the curriculum, so then every single school, um, potentially in the country, children would be learning that there isn't a conflict between science and faith, um, and then a whole generation would be growing up without that as a barrier to them coming to know Christ, that, that oh, I don't need to worry about religion because of science thing just wouldn't even be a conversation, um, so how many people would would be open to coming because they haven't got that narrative wi wired into their brain? That would be amazing. Um, good, good, good. That's helpful. So you get the idea. It's it's a bit painful in your brain when you try to do this because you're trying to think of something that you that you find difficult to describe, isn't it? Uh, and uh, some people might say, well, what's the point of dreaming? It's not very realistic. Well, the truth is that the kingdom is going to come. Heaven is going to come. This is going to happen. Uh, and uh, all we need to do is putting ourselves in uh, God's way and availability to see these things happen in our day. So it's not dreaming up the impossible. It's allowing heaven to come and shape our mindset and our thinking. And uh, I think uh, when you think about reality, it's not like reality is going to disable your dreams. Actually, you're going to have to become even more creative uh, when you think of reality and your dreams next to each other. Limitations don't uh, stop your dreams. Uh, they actually fuel your dreams. And uh, you, you're going to need even more creativity uh, when you put that reality into your dreams. So we're going to go back around the tables. Uh, we're going to have this conversation. You can ask one another, what if you were to blow up your dreams 10 times bigger? And uh, we're going to ask one another what that's going to look like. And if you think it's not quite looking like uh, 10 times bigger, then you're allowed to prod one another and say, I think you might need to do a bit more dreaming. What's that going to look like? So uh, we're going to start off doing that in uh, pairs, and then we're going to do a bit of feedback around groups. So back in your pairs, a couple of minutes.
What's that dream going to look like 10 times bigger? And then we're going to go back into groups. Excellent. It's great to hear uh, dreaming happening all over the place. If you could uh, press pause on your conversations, that would be wonderful. Um, before we're going to go over to hear Daniel uh, bringing us into the next session, I thought it'd be fun maybe to hear three outrageous dreams from the, uh, from the room. So we, we don't want to hear safe dreams, three outrageous dreams. Uh, I, I'm going to give you mine, and then uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll give a few other people uh, the opportunity to do that. So uh, my dream is to buy a circus uh, and uh, to uh, boost up ID like it's never been before, create a little discipleship community uh, that we can take on tour through Europe, and we're going to bring creativity, fire breathers, the arts together with the miraculous and uh, making a big splash in towns and cities to bring the gospel, uh, save a couple of hundred people in each town and uh, boost up Morris's plan for church planting across Europe uh, and uh, see in the next 20 years a, uh, a circus traveling through, uh, bringing the gospel, healing the sick and seeing creativity bursting out. Do you think that sounds good? Yeah? Great. Some more outrageous dreams. Anybody? Anybody? I'd like to see uh, a million people praying together on an enough night in the next 20 years. That's a great dream. Any more? Thank you. I'm slightly regretting putting my hand up. Um, I, I thought this was a pointless exercise, and I've now started to actually believe what I've written down. <laughs> um, the thing, uh, the part one was, was focusing on, on Streatham, where there's a lot of Muslims, and Somalis in particular. It's the Somali capital of South London, and um, I meet with the imam of the, the mosque every week. I've done for the last three years, and I was excited about his conversion and then for planting uh, a church planting network in Somalia. And then we had to times that by 10. And I started to believe that, because back when I was 20, I went to Yemen. And my overriding feeling was the Muslim world is ripe for the gospel like pre-Reformation Europe. Because just like pre-Reformation Europe, they believe in a God who judges them and requires them to work their way to him. And they're all massively burdened and fearful of this horrible God. And Jesus came into that through Luther. And the fire spread across Europe and transformed the world. And I started to believe that within the next 20 years, that's going to happen in the Muslim world. Good, good. One more, one more. So I'd love to see the church be the answer to the problem of serious youth violence and all the problems with knife crime. I think the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart at the end of the day. It's not that young people don't have enough positive things to do. It's not even the breakdown of family, though that is a massive impact. I think they just need Jesus. So I think I would love to see youth revival come and sweep this nation and catch it up so that the problem of youth, serious youth crime 
gang culture, knife crime, all the stuff which is getting a lot worse just isn't a problem anymore because they're caught up with Jesus. Right, over to you, Daniel. Okay, well, um, in, in the spirit of listening to the Spirit, um, which we're so keen to do, aren't we? Um, I just um, want to really, the whole point of this week, of this couple of days has been to create a conviction that we need to courageously multiply disciples and to have some equipping to do it. But that's only just some thoughts and ideas and beginnings of what steps you could take. In this session, all we, all we want to do in one way is to identify one first step that we could take. In multiple places in the Bible, it talks about not being like a man who looks in the mirror and walks away, forgets what he looks like, or now that you hear these things, you are blessed when you do them. We need to actually be obedient to what God's saying. I think when God speaks, we become stewards of what he said. And so we have an obligation to steward what he said to us well, which means to respond to it in obedience. So we just need to prayerfully decide what first step um, we're going to take. There were some wonderful prophetic words coming this morning, which we didn't have time to do, and we didn't feel was appropriate in that first session. That first session was just so fantastic. And um, I, I just received a massive burst of faith for the five churches in each continent in the next 10 years, Mike. So um, I've got loads of ideas. Um, I just feel pregnant with that. Um, but I thought it would be great for us to actually hear these prophetic words that were coming now, because I think they might be more helpful than anything you know, I've got prepared. Um, but I, I do want to just put it into start with sort of the biblical um, mandate, which, which Paul gives to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, which we all, I'm sure, know like the back of our hands where Paul talks about, um, let me read it to you. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's so simple, but you've got four generations of reproduction in there. Paul talking to Timothy, telling Timothy to find people to teach who are able to teach others. So you've got others junior and others senior, Timothy and Paul. And that's a really long-sighted way of living your life. And that's how we need to live our lives. Just to remind you what we've talked about so far, we've talked about the need to be present with people. There's, there's no discipleship without proximity. There are people in our movement who I've known by reputation and I've longed to be influenced by them. But for whatever reason, they're never in the same room as me. And that's a regret. If you want to influence people, you've actually got to be there. When I started leading the church in Cambridge, Goff had helped us for a, at least a year, maybe two years. And his biggest piece of advice to me when I started leading the church was be present. And, and we've got to take that on board. We've got to live authentic, attractive lives. 
we've got to be vulnerable, create classroom apprenticeship immersion. Remember, systems don't make disciples, disciples do. Be careful because we feel we can ignore it. We're not the ones who are going to reap the whirlwind if we don't raise up other elders. That will be the next generation. So we need to resist that. Just because we can get away with it doesn't mean we should. We shouldn't. I thought uh, your IKEA showroom was just a great idea, Valter, to see what it, could be what it could look like so that when you get into the warehouse, you're willing to pay the price to build that. So these exercises of dreaming and allowing God to shape, to guide your heart, are so important. And I feel prophetically that we need to give ourselves permission to dream big. You know, we, we had a question on our table just now. Gordon was asking, do we think a strong sovereignty of God doctrine, which we would, um, by and large, certainly I would hold with two hands very firmly, um, do, you, do you think that limits our, our dreaming? Because, well, it's up to God, isn't it? I don't know about you, but personally, that's not what limits my dreaming. I actually feel emboldened by the sovereignty of God. What does limit my thinking is the, the culture around me, the, the Paul Toppy, tall poppy syndrome, the kind of who are you to dream big, um, all that stuff can intimidate you. And we need to be free from that. We, we do need to be free from that. Rhonda, would you come up and... You still here? Yeah, there you are. Come up and share um, what you were going to share because I think we're going to go into some prayer in a moment, but I think that's going to be fueled and guided by just a couple of these um, prophetic words. When I say a couple, I mean about five. <laughs> but, um, but I think it's worth it, yeah? Um, yeah, look, the sense I got when we were worshipping in the first, uh, during the first worship session was um, I just felt like God say, look up, you know, lift your eyes um, and look to the heavens. That's where your help comes from, this sense of whenever we get discouraged, look up again because God's going to do it. And he reminded me, he, I felt like he was saying, don't think in terms of ones and twos, think in terms of whole towns and villages. And I really felt like him reminding me of what he did in Samaria, you know, with the Samaritan woman. And it was almost like, you know, the whole village, many of them came to know Jesus because of her testimony, but also because they'd had an encounter with Jesus as well. And then he reminded me of Joppa and, it, you know, and what happened with Tabitha. And it said that everybody heard what God did in that town and many came to know Jesus. And I felt like God was saying, think big. You know what I mean? Think in terms of towns and villages. And um, the other bit I got was, um, thank you. That was the big bit. I really, and I felt a little bit scared. I've got to be, you know, you talk about vulnerability and being honest. Um, and I want to be honest with you guys, you know, it really scares me coming up and speaking to you. Some of you scare me. <laughs> not, not that there's anything wrong with you. You're all lovely. But um, it's, it's, a, it's scary. Um, but I really felt like God say, you know, you need to say this. And I really felt like God was saying, uh, and it's an exhortation to women, 
please, I felt like God was saying, do not shrink back at this time. He wants you to rise up into all that he's called you to be. That actually for this dream and vision to happen, it's going to require all of us. It's going to require men and women walking together. It's going to require our children. You know, he's got plans for our kids, for our teenagers. They're part of this vision as well. And I just feel like, you know, please rise up. Don't shrink back um, and let God use you and, and to do what he's called you to do. And the other thing I got really quickly, if that's okay, was just the reminder then while you guys were speaking, we were dreaming. God said, remember Abraham. You know, I I promised him that I would make him a nation um, and give him children as many as the sea and the sand on the seashores. And he, and just the verse, um, sorry, I don't know why I'm so nervous. Um, And just the verse that Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness and I just felt like God was saying come on guys do we believe because that's as important as the dreaming of what what's going to happen um, Mike can I just just jump in on um, the back of what Rhonda was saying because when she came up and said that I, I had already jotted down a couple of things so I think this thing about um what she said is about women specifically, and Mike's going to open that up slightly to more general hurts. But I wanted to add my voice to the, to the women issue. Um, and just because I've noticed recently as I've read the Bible, this um, passage from Luke 8. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, these three women, who provided for them out of their means. And then again in Romans 16, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself also. I think um, we're, we're going to need all hands to the pump if we're going to plant all these churches and make all these disciples. And um, I think I would want to just wave the flag for all of us being all that God's called all of us mm-hmm. to be. And if there's historic hurts, to, to not allow us for that to be an excuse, but to deal with that and to live the right side of that. And that, that may be the men and women issue, but it may be any number of things. Um, I just asked Daniel if I could share a little bit about what God was doing in my heart yesterday. In, in the midst of the afternoon, we were talking about classrooms and apprenticeships and immersion and, and really ourselves personally in being mentored and discipled. And, and, and it opened up for me a, a sense of loss um, that for circumstances outside of myself that I found in a culture that I was before this life, not in New Frontiers, that I was under a toxic leadership. And I was, I was also under um, someone that had, failed, that had failed morally as a leader. And in, in doing so, there was a culture that I wasn't allowed to be released to run with some prophetic people before, Keith and Jeremy, when they were here in years past. And, and God brought that to the surface uh, for me to forgive afresh, but also even just 
the, the, the sudden death of Keith is something, again, out of my control. But it's that, that whole idea of a sense of loss in the midst of what I felt was my, my own personal apprenticeship and so forth. And God was just bringing healing to that. But then this morning, he kind of gave me some language to that about uh, Joseph, um, who ended up dreaming and, and uh, had things that looked like they hijacked the dream. But, but ended up, he said at the end, God made me a father to Pharaoh. And I felt like God just sort of spoke to my heart, and I think it's a little bit wider for us, is that only God can make us fathers and mothers when we didn't have one ourselves. And so even in the midst of us stepping into discipleship and stepping into these things, any lack we feel ourselves, God just wants to bring any healing to that and release um, for us to be empowered that he makes us those things where we felt any lack or loss. Walter, can you... Um Help us respond to that. Just a little spontaneous, but I just I just feel when Mike said that. I, I mean, I've probably said this to several of you before, but my my father died when I was nine, right? So I got no idea really of what fatherhood naturally is like. I mean, my mother remarried later on in my teenage years, which was difficult as well because then by that time you you, do, you don't want a new person in your life of that kind so there's all sorts of things going on there which wonderfully God did some tremendous some tremendous things in that but the point I'm making is now I think one of the key things God has called me to be is a father and yet I have probably the least qualified naturally to be able to speak about that but the point I think Mike is making, which is really something we've got to get hold of, is our natural circumstances are very often the things that God takes, and they are our weaknesses. And Paul says, I will boast all the more about my weaknesses, because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And one of the things I think we often do wrongly is we look at ourselves and assess what can God do with this, because I haven't got this, I'm not this, I haven't done this, I'm not this, I'd like to be this, I've missed this. And so we think of all the reasons why we can't be the very things we want to be. But I would say God turns the very things that we are not into what we actually are, so we become a display of his glory. So I just want to add my voice to what Mike is saying there because it came up yesterday, this whole thing of looking for fathers. And I think many of you who perhaps feel that or express that, or same with spiritual mothers as well, the very fact that you're longing for it, I would suggest is a good indication that God is in the process of making that something that you are. Because very often the thing that you feel you've lacked is a birthing of the calling that God is going to make you into. So rather than it being a grieving, and oh, oh dear, I've lost this. No, actually, it's a seed of promise. It's a seed of promise that God can take and actually use your weakness to be something that's strong. So this room could be full of all the very things we think aren't in it. Do you, do you get that? So I, I think we have to, Jesus is a redeemer. Right, so that means he takes what's lost and makes it something. He's a savior, saves what's been lost, brings it... He's, the cross wasn't a rescue, it was a resurrection. A, resu a rescue is making the best out of what there is. Resurrection is you kill the thing off and then start again. Right? And there's something wonderful about the resurrection life that, that God brings us to an end of ourselves. 
that he can produce something that we could never have been on our own. So I just wanted to add that, as I think that's important for the future, really. Thank you so much, Mike. We are trying to discern what God's saying, and, and the Bible tells us to eagerly desire prophecy and to, to not despise it. Um, so there's no band in the background or all the accoutrements of a prophetic ministry time, but that doesn't mean that God can't speak powerfully. Um, so, Valter, you were, you were going to bring something else about her, and then I wondered after that whether Jenny could, could share. I can't yeah. see Jenny at the moment. Oh, there um, so one of the things I felt during uh, worship and this morning as I was spending time uh, with God was about a paradigm shift. Um, and um, I think when Jesus walked across the earth with his disciples, most of the time the biggest hurdle that he walked into was that his disciples couldn't grasp what he had come to do. They were thinking so small that they couldn't see the bigger picture. And I think for us it's so easy to get lost in our small picture that we forget the bigger picture. And um, the thing that I was reminded this morning uh, was uh, about episode from World War II, so uh, the Battle of the Bulge. So after D-Day happened, uh, the Allied forces had uh, found the beachhead broken into Europe, and uh, you can see massive acceleration, and all they were thinking about was offence. They were thinking about pushing forward, and then very unexpectedly, the Germans pushed back. They were trying to get the harbour of Antwerp uh, back and uh, they pushed in trying to split the allied forces tried to surround them and uh, if you were at that season in that place what was happening was the overall war was being won but a very severe losses were happening on the ground and uh, the allied forces were uh, driven back and there was a few strongholds along the way where they're fighting fiercely and all they could do was stand their ground there, there was no advance there was no movement but by standing their ground they stopped the Germans pressing through, dividing the armies. And actually, by standing their ground, that was what depleted the enemy's forces. Uh, and in the end, that's where, uh, after that, the counter-offense could come from. And I, I just kind of felt that sense of loss. Maybe you're in a place where you feel, we're not pressing ahead. We're just clinging on for dear life. We're, we're trying to keep standing. And actually, in you making a stand, that is just as much spiritual warfare. That's just as much advance. That is Satan throwing all his resources at you, but depleting his own resources and uh, the kingdom of heaven advancing even in seasons of loss. So I think a sense of loss, seasons of loss, doesn't mean that God's not working through you. Uh, it just means that you need to keep the big picture in mind and seeing how the big battle is overall one to gain perspective and encouragement for the small battles that we face day to day. Uh, yeah, I think this um, kind of follows on really well from uh, what Mike was saying as well. Um, as I was thinking about uh, discipleship and what that looks like, uh, for me, I was kind of picturing it as um, sort of a, a digging into my pockets and drawing out what I've got to give to people. And um, God kind of gave me a, a picture of a ma magician who, who digs deep into the pockets of his black coat, but he draws out bunches of flowers and doves and rabbits and the things that couldn't possibly be in there um and obviously with the magician it's an illusion but with god it's it's a miraculous provision that from the things he gives us of himself we are able to draw out and and produce things that weren't there produce other sorts of disciples we're not making copies of ourselves i'm not making a I'm not discipling people to be a slightly better Jenny. I'm discipling people who will go on to be elders, who will be pioneers, who will be 
an incredible evangelist. Um, but it comes from the, the gifts of character that God's building into me. I'm not, it's not, it's different from training. I can pass on my skills that I've learned. I can teach somebody to write or to edit. I can't teach somebody to be an elder out of my own skills, but I can out of the character uh, that God's put into me. Um, and then that's also terrifying because <laughs> when I realize that people are looking to me and this fruit that I will be sending out into the world is looking to me for its character, um, that just drives me back to God. And I think we need to, the lesson I've learned from that is I need to be digging in deeper to the character of God so that I've got something to offer people that, that as I dig into the pockets, there's something there um, to create beauty and life and flourishing. That is fantastic. That is worthy of a round of applause. Um, Valter's going to get us to pray for one another in a second. In, in terms of, of taking a first step, I just want to sow a couple of seeds. So the, these are just a couple of ideas. Um, the first would be to, to share your life. You don't have to add to your life. You can just do the things that you're already doing in a way that helps other people. You have meals every day, have meals with other people. You might be preparing sermons, do that with other people. You might be traveling, do that with other people. These aren't new slots in your diary. They're just ways where you're sharing what's already happening uh, with other people. Here's a um, maybe counterintuitive idea. Um, if there's a scale from least mature to most mature in your church, what we've done as a church, and this, this may not be right, but what we've decided to do is to invest in the most mature with the hope that we can recruit those people to the disciple-making cause. And so then you've got a stronger team to disciple the rest. And secondly, because probably they're the lo lowest hanging fruit, and so you can make the most progress with them. So we've actually thrown our disciple-making efforts mainly at the most mature end. And we, we preach as if people have read their Bible all week. We pray as if people are praying all the time. We talk about giving as if they're giving generously. We try to pitch it to the people who are the people of peace, on whom is, is the greatest grace, and who are getting it in the hope that others will uh, grow into that. Um, that's not the only way of doing it, but it's just a thought. Okay, Vata. Excellent. So we're going to try and make it practical, bring it all the way down. So what we've been doing is been walking through the IKEA showroom. You've been laying in some beds, sitting in some seats, thinking, wow, I could really imagine this in my living room. And now we're going to go down to the basement. Uh, we're going to go uh, get out the flat packs, the Allen keys, to start doing the hard work of putting it together. Now, unless you've seen this beautiful picture, you're going to be very quickly discouraged. Uh, but uh, once we've seen this big picture, we don't mind starting to get out the screws and the bits and start trying to work out how 
how this fits together and the impossible tasks of reading flat pack instructions and all those sort of things. Um, so we're going to work down towards what is one thing that needs to start to happen today and tomorrow for you to start to get your hands onto the dream over the next 20 years. So on your tables, you will see a little pocket with Alan Keys. Um, just to remind you, we have not traveled to Ikea and nicked them. Uh, we have honestly bought them online. Uh, but uh, they represent the hard work that needs to go into today and tomorrow to see our dreams established over the next 20 years. So um, the Alan Keys have a, a, a little... Um, uh, label to go with them, and we would love you to write one thing on there um, that you're going to be doing to be more effectively discipled yourself, and one thing that you will be doing to do more effectively disciple others. So you'll have to be uh, quite specific in how you're going to write that down, but um, uh, please write that down, uh, a little label that goes with it. One thing in which you're going to pursue being more effectively discipled and one thing you're going to do to more effectively disciple others. We'd love you to write that down. And um, if you feel brave, we'd love you to keep that on your desk somewhere or, I don't know, in your wallet or uh, on your uh, bunch of keys to regularly remind you of this. Uh, after you've written that down, the one thing, what we're going to do is break out into groups and we're going to pray for each other, our big dreams and the specific things that God has called us to right now. So over to you, just a few minutes to write that down and then we're going to do some ministry, praying over one another, prophesy over one another in our groups.